0: to radio war stories
1: with your hosts dave jagger and don nelson don we have probably talked about this guy more than anybody else we have mentioned his name so many times on this podcast and we finally have him on a zoom call today this guy has been a longtime friend of mine and yours i think everybody in radio knows mike mcveigh recipient are you ready to for your your bio here
2: Oh, yeah I'm gonna get a <laughs>
1: recipient it. of the prestigious Rockwell award Rockwell award received the inaugural uh, inaugural innovation in music and media award in 2017 ranked number four among America's top programmers by Radio Inc magazine number 14 on Radio Inc's top 40 most powerful broadcaster list Don you and I are number one on that one I think. <laughs> Uh, has been uh, named uh, among the titans of talk by NTS Magazine every year from 2012 to 2019. Was named Corporate Programmer of the Year by Worldwide Radio Summit in 2015, 17, and most recently 2019. McVeigh was recognized three times as Broadcast Executive of the Year. I think you were like 12 times, right?
0: Uh, no no 14 yeah.
1: <laughs> 14 times okay yeah so you're you yeah. get you're doing pretty good mike uh by the former radio That's and right. records magazine member of the board of directors for country radio broadcasters member of the board of uh, the radio hall of fame and museum past chairman of the radio show steering committee for the 2017 NABRAB convention Also a member of the long-term steering committee for the NAB-RAB radio show, which became effective in January of 2019. And also, that's not enough, the co-chair for the Alliance for Women in Media's 2019 Gracie's Award. And also, last but not least, former executive VP, content and programming at Cumulus Media. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike McVeigh is with us today. Hi, Mike.
0: Hi hey guys, thank you, everybody. Please leave your me. <laughs> the one thing that I note, Mike, in, in looking at your bio versus mine, all of your things here uh, have 20 in front of them. All of mine had 19. A couple of them actually had 1,800. So, <laughs> Not quite.
1: Not quite that far back, I don't believe. Yeah,
0: what? What what was Uh, Mike? He was he was a a sweet man. I mean, he was really nice to work Uh, with.
1: (laughs) Everybody's always giving Don grief about his age. Mentally, he's a nineteen year old, just like the rest of us that have been in radio. Right? We we always will be perpetual nineteen year olds. Uh, You know, Mike, it's funny because Don and I have talked. uh, Uh, through the years that we've known each other which isn't really that long just about three years or so uh, but how many consultants have come and gone and yet you always seem to maintain you kind of like a good manager or owner of any business surrounded themselves by really good people So I think that's another reason that your business has endured as long as it has, even with all the catastrophic and scary stuff that has happened to radio in the past 10 years or so. How do you think, what do you attribute your success and continued success to?
2: You know, I I think originally when we started McVeigh Media, which was long ago, 1984, um, you know, one of the things I did look at immediately was, what have successful consultants before me, like George Burns, and at that time, George Johns was only a few years into his consultancy. What have have they done and what made them successful? People like Lee Abrams, Jack McCoy. Um, And more than anything is, they were successful in radio. They were successful programmers. They had won. And, And the standard joke is, that most consultants get fired and because they can't get another job, they become a consultant and it gives them something to do so they get the next job. And, and, and I didn't enter it that way. I mean, I looked at those guys and, and, and the success they were enjoying and just said, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it for real. And it's going to be my life. It's not a job between jobs. This is what I'm going to do. And then add to that, I'd had the benefit of having been on air, having been a program director, having been an ops manager and a general manager. And that gave me business discipline that a lot of people don't have. And so a lot of the folks who become a consultant for just a period of time, and this is going to sound mean and nasty, and I don't mean it to be that way. I just looked at them as king PDs. They were a king or queen program director. They weren't really a business person. It was focused on creating content and delivering success. And so that was the big part of it as we began. And then we've evolved a lot of times. I mean, it started out just me, consolidation hit, and Charlie Cook joined us as the very first person to come in uh, as vice president. And we probably spent 12 years together the first mm-hmm. go round. Then he was back with me a couple times after that. Um, and with consolidation, we added more and more individuals, some of whom are still out there consulting, um, and those individuals were format specialists. And frankly, they were added as a defensive move, meaning, you know, McVeigh media was known initially mainly for AC. Well, when Charlie came in, that gave us country as well. And, you know, when stations who had two and three other formats in the room were signing us I wanted to be able to say I've got a rock person mm-hmm. as well so I bought Burkhard Abrams and brought those guys over actually it was Burkhardt Douglas when I bought it Lee had already left um, and you know then we added a top 40 person and so on and that's how the initial McVeigh Media grew with adding all those consultants It became global because as other countries started to face deregulation, they came to America and said, you've been through this. How did you do it? And so we uh, picked up New Zealand, Australia, Canada, Latin America, Mexico, you know, the U.K., wow. France. Now, that must have been interesting just that- traveling
1: around like that to those different countries because they approach radio a little bit differently. A lot of them are state-run uh, networks and so forth like that. Uh, that must have been really interesting. I always wanted to sit... We'll do that one day. Sit down and talk about it. what it's like to program or or consult a radio station in new zealand where by the way i'll probably be retiring because i'm scared to death of what's going on in america i always want to live in i always want to live in uh, who doesn't want to live in middle earth anyway right so anyway i didn't mean to interrupt but go right Right. ahead
2: no 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 but so from that a couple of those guys became partners chris burns was the head of programming in new zealand and uh, chris was married to a canadian woman And when he decided he wanted to move to Canada, Chris and I partnered for uh, McAvey Burns Media. And and so we had a bunch of stations in Canada. Chris still has Burns Media and is doing that in Canada and remains a very good friend. And David Rogerson uh, was in Australia. And so David and I started consulting together in Australia. And to your point of what that's like, I learned very quickly, you know, first off a mistake that many consultants make in America is saying all markets are alike, no. which they're not. Yes, they all have McDonald's. Yes, they all have Kentucky Fried Chicken, but they're not alike. And so when you go to another country, it required me to set my ego aside and realize that everybody else thinks we're ugly Americans <laughs> and that we're pompous asses. And so, you know, being humble. Which I You've always been be. humble, always it's, been humble. Well, thank you. But it was very easy to be humbled in those situations and sit back. And so, anyway, we continue to evolve and grow. Uh, when when the Internet started to blossom, um, you know, Daniel and Standig, who owns Futuri today, joined our company. Daniel was 18 years oh, old. Oh, I remember. I and, remember when you we, brought him on board,
1: yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. And Daniel was amazing. Uh, as a futurist, is seeing what things could go to. Um, and he gave us so much great insight. Um, and and so he was amazing. I'm just responding to someone real quick. Go quickly. right ahead. Our own little thing. The reason I had to respond is when we were sitting this up, I sent a note to somebody saying, how do I get Zoom to deliver <laughs> audio? And they were asking me if I still need help. I said, no, we're good. <laughs> we're good. But... But, but so anyway, I didn't want them to jump in the middle of our Zoom here. Um, but, but so anyway, Daniel was great. And, and from him, you know, we developed McVein New Media. And so Daniel worked at, you know, working with radio stations on developing their social media. Lori Lewis, who was a programmer, um, you know, started her own social media company as a spinoff of the time she and Daniel mm-hmm. worked together. Um, you know, Daniel's uh, Futuri was first called Listener Driven Radio. And, th- and that was an idea Daniel had. We're sitting in my office one time here in Cleveland. And and I said, you know, what's next? How do we take what's happening in social media and push that out over the air in radio? And suddenly he's inventing Listener Driven Radio and, and went on to launch his own company with Futuri. And so I... The answer to your question is not an easy answer, but it starts with success, the ability to acknowledge that other people are smarter than I am, to figure out how to harness them into what we want to do, and then the, you know, the acceptance that we have to change continually. I get agitated when somebody will refer to me as a dinosaur because I have gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> and I am willing to sit down and do an IQ test with any twenty-five-year-old. Once, absolutely,
1: to come home no doubt about that.
2: Because we've evolved and we've changed, and 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 you know, all of that led me to taking that job with Cumulus for twelve years, and now coming
0: back on the, my own. So, a
2: long way to answer your question.
0: I have a question for you, and and it's a personal question, if you don't mind. Okay, sure. Uh, how many nights do you sleep at home?
2: Before the pandemic, yeah. um, you know, I traveled about five days a week for 34, Ugh. 35 yeah. years. And and now since the pandemic, um, you're speaking to me at my home in a little community that is just about 25, 30 miles west of mm-hmm. Cleveland. So before the pandemic, I flew here March 13, 2020, thinking I was here for the weekend and then was heading on to Chicago. And other than to go to Atlanta to close my condo there, <laughs> uh, I've been here. I've been here the whole time. And and frankly, that's been one of the good things about this pandemic. I'm so sorry that so many lost friends and yeah. family members. And and I myself had friends die mm-hmm. from the coronavirus but I have never spent this many days in a row in the same bed. My wife and I bought this house in 1995 and I like it. I like this house. I, I, you know, I never spent that many. I mean, we were blessed to have a couple of different places that we owned. We had a condo in Atlanta because I was working at Cumulus for nine years in Atlanta and we had a condo in Destin, Florida. Well, we sold Florida a couple of years before the pandemic, but we shut down the condo in Atlanta, July 2020, and finally sold it to somebody, December one. Oh, uh, <laughs> hurts and, to hear. And, <laughs> That's agony. <yeah. laughs> it's like it's like getting a raise. Oh yeah. I mean, when that oh, goes absolutely. away, you feel like, yeah. hey, a look raise. at the
0: windfall we but, just got. Yeah.
2: Don, I found out I really enjoy
0: my family. <laughs> amazing, right? I like yeah, them, but yeah, I'm sure at points they've said. Who is that man with the white hair sitting at the desk there, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you have any pets? Were your yeah. pets confused about you living at home now more? No. Because no. that's that's no, a lot no. of people have no. said, oh, that's my dog or my cat. They're, they're like, why are you still here? Why aren't you gone all day? Um, a,
0: a couple of pod quest, uh, podcast questions. Uh, how how many? Yes. Uh, what percentage, let's put it that way, of today's podcast are actually monetized uh, versus guys like Dave and I are just having fun.
2: You ready for this? This is crazy because, you know, as part of my uh, life, I'm partners with Benstown in a podcast company mm-hmm. called Benstown right. McVeigh. And, and the majority of our real money comes from, you know, building and developing podcasts for big mm-hmm. companies. But the podcast we have launched with some big name talent don't generate a lot of revenue and and the reason for that is you need to be at 20,000 downloads per episode to be sold yep. nationally yeah. and and so there are two different camps that is one camp that is the 20,000 downloads per episode selling nationally the other camp is somebody like Jeff Dollar and his wife Callie in Atlanta And Jeff has been a very well-known name in radio circles in Atlanta. They have a podcast that has good downloads, but they're not near 20,000 per episode. But they're selling to local advertisers in Atlanta who know that when Jeff Dollar reads a live commercial, it sells product. Uh, Tom Bernard in Minneapolis does about 20,000 downloads a month, which is a big number. Um, and Tom generates real significant, close to a million dollars in revenue. But again, he's a huge personality in Minneapolis and advertisers buy because if Tom Bernard reads a commercial on his podcast, people buy that product. In our business, we were talking to the people at Omni and that's who distributes our podcast, Benstown McVeigh Media Podcast. And, and I said... You know, we've got a podcaster who's generating about 2,000 downloads per episode. And the woman at Omni went, wow, do you realize that puts her in the top 15% of all podcasts? That's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy.
1: That's that's not that many now. As you know, yeah. my wife Jerry and I were early adapters of uh podcasting when yes. we were still in Michigan and did a podcast for five years. We had monthly between 15 000 and 20,000 downloads on our podcast, but they were all local and we we did sell it locally at least until I went to work full time for Apple, excuse me, the fruit stand. And uh, we never had an issue of anybody wanting to re up. Um, we just didn't get out and, and sell it enough. That was our problem. And plus, not that many people were familiar with the medium. Well, what's a podcast? I remember we sent one a link to you, and you emailed Jerry back and said, "What am I listening to?" <laughs> Mike, you said, "What am I listening?" Jerry said, "That's our podcast." Oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, when you say you were early adopters, I mean, you guys were out there. How many years oh, ago? That was uh,
1: 2008 or 9 when we first started it and did it for about yeah. five years.
2: Yeah, and I just saw in one of the podcast publications where um, the man who's taking credit for inventing podcasting <laughs> said. That was not that me. If, <laughs> yeah, he he said he launched about 2001 or 2002 so you were yeah. early on and i look i think truth be known books on audio were the That's first podcast
1: yeah you're right
2: they they, yeah. they just were and so getting those on cassette you know that was the first podcast but you know the other thing i mean the stats i so i just mentioned about being in the top 15% with those 2000 downloads an episode and they went on to share that if you're getting 20,000 downloads an episode and you're generating national revenue, you're in the top 30%. wow
0: percent Wow, that's something. Huh? And that's so, crazy. And,
2: yeah. And, so, and then the other day I was talking to a podcast specialist, Steve Goldstein, and Steve said to me that one of the uh, research projects he just did showed that most podcasters stop podcasting at about seven or eight months. And so while we sit and say there are a million, two million podcasts out there, a new metric that we've got to figure out is how many are active, Mm -hmm. how many like Mm -hmm. your podcast are updating regularly? How many are publishing new episodes regularly?
1: Uh, You recently have authored a lot of uh, columns inside Radio Inc. magazine. You can get it online. Do they still publish a tactile magazine yeah
2: yeah radio radio, radio inc. inc uh has a yeah. radio inc has a printed monthly magazine that you can subscribe to or anyone can sign up for right. free online for the daily radio inc. but every Inch. week
1: you have a new column in radio inc and the latest one i've i found was fascinating because this is some of the stuff that you taught us when we first started getting rolling we, and I told Charlie Cook the same thing, Mike. We never, and I don't think Don ever did, too. Don hired you and Charlie and all the others. I never did any pushback against a, a consultant because we knew we needed the help. Uh, and... Uh, it, Talent coach is one thing, but an overall consultant does so many things. But I love your last column on the personality brand. And so many young people that are in radio now, and they're not that many, unfortunately, because there just aren't that many jobs, as you know. But uh, we'll sit there and say, well, how do I become a brand? Or how do I get You know, I want everybody to know my name. And uh, we were a little unique when when Jerry and I got going, because obviously we had uh, married the market there in West Michigan decided this is where we were going to stay to raise our family. Uh, And you come up with a lot of those kinds of things in your, in your short column here. Tell me about the personality brand 2021, as opposed to 1991.
2: Yeah. So I think a lot of the same principles hold and, and it started with reading the brand U 50 by Tom Peters many years ago. And, and, you know, I, In that article, I talk about, you know, radio stations as as brands and and Don, you have managed some of those great legendary radio stations that are brands. And so you get that one of the things is there's a consistency with the brand that includes change. Meaning, you know, KISS in LA may be a huge top 40 brand, but they've evolved and changed over the years. WCBS FM in New York City is a brand. That has evolved and changed over the years but it's always known for something and so when i first read that book it was early in my consulting career and and i started thinking about okay i've got to be memorable i've got to be known for something and so i at that point had a philosophy of what i believe radio stations need to do to be successful and I've evolved that philosophy, but the tenants are still the same. I mean, it's like a house, right? If you build a house, you still have to put a foundation in. There are certain things you have to do that people did when they built houses in 1800 that still have to happen today. And so that foundation for me is is pretty consistent from the early days of my consulting based on what i've learned over a period of time so so that's something that i repeat over and over again to people updating it you know the the kitchen in a 1980 home is a lot different than a kitchen in a 2020 (laughs) home but they still have sinks they still have spigots they still have microwaves oh yeah you know and those kinds of things and and so so, with the brand U fifty as a brand, I decided what my philosophy was based on success, and I've updated it and continued to preach that. And then there are things I do in an appearance, the silk pocket square. People always talk about. I've done that since nineteen eighty four.
1: Mike, Mike I've is, nice- if not uh, the best dressed person in radio. I don't know of anybody else that dresses better than Mike McVeigh. <laughs> Uh, so uh, that's true, Don. I mean, uh, it's yeah, absolutely and, true. Don, and, Don and, uh, dressed nice too, but he dressed for the times.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, and 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 always, and I dressed for you the do, times. My but... suit changed, wide yeah. bells, <laughs> <thinner> <laughs> bells, wide necktie, thin necktie, but the silk pocket <laughs> square was was always there, and those things adapt. So how do you adapt the silk pocket square today? Mm-hmm. You have social media you have the ability to be in magazines you have the ability i mean it's so much easier today than it was when i was doing it because today with all of the various social media models and platforms that are there you can do it apple changed how we do all these things and it's and it's instant and the news is right there and so if you want to be a brand whatever your brand is you have to be true to that brand and so when Mike McVeigh is dressed casual and you can see me because we're recording on a Zoom, I'm wearing a Bugatti shirt, but it doesn't have a it doesn't have an. <laughs> no, it does it. not. <laughs> and it's and it's the modern style where the the collars and the cuffs change color <laughs> with the shirt. And I have on black designer there you go. jeans. Okay, uh. so I'm not wearing a suit and sport coat because I'm at my home,
0: because that would be But are you weird. wearing pants? That's but, the question. A, or you are wearing I pants. Am the, or right. sure, yeah, black, black jeans. And a Gucci belt. <laughs> okay?
2: And, so, and so, so that's my That brand. is your brand, absolutely. But so, but so when I'm posting on social media, uh, before we started recording the podcast, we talked about my team, the Steelers, And every Sunday, I would push out what kind of Mm Steeler socks I was wearing or what the Steeler shirt (laughs) was. Or behind me, you can see my Steeler Santa Claus hat when it was Christmas time. And so that was keeping with my brand. And so if you're in an audible business, what is your brand? You know, what is it you're doing? What are you going to be known for? You can't be the sweetheart personality Um, You know, and suddenly become Howard Stern. You can't be the bird show and suddenly become a Howard Stern.
0: You know, one of the questions that has been asked of me on several occasions is, how do you deal with your staff when you bring in a consultant? And for me, that's that's a very Mm -hmm. easy answer. And that is, I never brought in a consultant. My staff brought in the consultant. Uh, when I was in New York, we brought in Charlie. But that was handled with a lunch between Jim Kerr and Dan Daniels. And we sat down and said, now, what would you think about? And they said, you know, good idea. Yeah, we could, and boom, boom, boom. They hired Charlie. I didn't hire Charlie. And when a GM hires somebody and then throws him in the room and says, guess what? Yeah. Uh, that's a success, a recipe for failure, right?
2: Yeah, I would say that most of the times i have been hired has been the latter, not the former. I mean, you know, with being hired and somebody saying, we've hired Mike McVeigh, he's our consultant. And, and so the challenge then becomes, you know, I've got to win over the trust of the program director and the air staff and you know sometimes that's worked sometimes Mm -hmm. it hasn't i would say most of the time it worked but but i think it's you know there's a certain consultant out there and when i had you know McVeigh media today Mm -hmm. is me but when i had a bunch of consultants working with me i would often sit down and have meetings with them and say look I don't want you to write a report based on what the GM told you they want to do, which there were some consultants, not that worked for me, but there were some consultants out there that would do that because if the GM said, I really don't like the morning show. And suddenly the consultant is writing, I think this morning show has problems. And, And for me, it was not about writing reports to keep your job. It was about generating ratings so you were afraid to terminate me i wanted to build ratings up to where you went we got to keep this guy look how good our ratings are going and and dave and jerry you know were a morning team that was very opinionated uh very focused on what they were going to do they understood what their brand was and and i would venture to say there were programmers that worked well with you and some that didn't work well with you guys. But I felt that I always worked well with Dave and Jerry's morning show because I spent time to figure out who Dave and Jerry were, what they were capable of doing. And there were times when I would have to be their advocate and sit with the program director and say, they're right, you're wrong. You need to- Thank you. Here. See, now that, that,
1: that that's and, something that Mike, my- uh would do not too many consultants would slap the hand that feeds them like that and uh mike and charlie were always that way charlie actually came in first mike obviously came up because charlie was his country guy but uh i appreciate that i've never known that so uh thank you for, for defending us and standing up for us that way there were so many times and you know who the general manager is i'm talking about that he would just just one time he called our owner Uh, when Regent owned us and uh, said, Dave and Jerry were just on the air. He was always looking for something to try to kick us to the curb anyway, I think. But he was like, Dave and Jerry were just on the air and said, Jerry said, uh, white trash. (laughs) (laughs) And the
2: CEO of the
1: company back on the phone told him, because he told us this later, and he said, hell, I'm white trash, too. Leave them alone and just let them, let them be. They're doing just fine. <laughs>
0: you know, that, that whole theory, though, of, of making sure that these are community decisions, that you're not just the guy who's bringing somebody in and laying them on top of them. Yeah. I remember going into L.A., uh, and one of the first hires I had to make was a program director. Uh, my morning guy was Robert W. Morgan. What a shame.
1: (laughs) No talent there.
0: So uh, the way the program director was hired was I sat down with Robert and said, no, any good program directors. Because if a program director came into that radio station and couldn't get along with Robert, the program director was not long Mm. for his life. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, Robert said, well, what about Ron Rodriguez? Used to be over at Radio and Records. I worked with him at uh, uh, KMPC, you know, and boom. We brought Ron in. Ron was the program director. Those two got along famously. And, and that to me is something that still needs to be done on a daily basis, regardless of where the industry's gone. And, and speaking of program directors, I I offered the job uh, uh, at Wire after Bill Robinson uh, had decided he didn't want to be a PD anymore. I offered it to a bright young guy from the East Coast, uh, Pittsburgh, I think it was. And, uh, he turned me down, uh, said, nah, I've got, to, got an offer in Chicago, and I've got to go to WMAQ. And so I was about, uh, you know, that close to hiring Bob Pittman as my <laughs> 19-year-old <laughs> program director. It just didn't happen.
1: Bob Pittman is the uh, CEO. He's CEO still, right? Yes, CEO he's of iHeart yeah. Media if you don't know who Bob Pittman is. So that's that's an amazing story. 19-year-old Bob Pittman. Nah, I'm going to go to Chicago, go to WMAQ, I think. And, uh... Next week, part two, and more with Mike McVeigh. Thanks for listening to Radio War Stories. We'll be back next week.